0: Great to be uh, back with you. For those of you that don't know, I was for the last uh, week, I was in Costa Rica and I uh, have to say it was a fabulous experience. Um, I'm going to start out this morning just kind of painting a little bit of a picture uh, for you of my week and then contrast it with some things as well. But uh, I uh, joined up with a team from sort of the South Texas slash Mexico border and a few others, a couple others from Ohio and uh, and a couple from California, and we formed kind of a new team, partnered up with some uh, Costa Rican uh, brothers and sisters, and went out and uh, shared the gospel and helped plant some new churches around Costa Rica this week. Uh, it was an amazing experience. Here's, here's some of my stats that I thought was crazy. We shared the gospel with 357 people. This week we had uh, 137 that opened up their hearts and lives uh, to Christ. Many of those, by the way, have never heard the gospel ever before in their entire lives, and so super super cool. I mean, seeing lives transform and seeing uh, them start to grow. We went back and had Bible studies uh, throughout the week to help them kind of get grounded. Uh, we partnered up with some local churches that were there already, or or, uh, or maybe some leaders that were going to be planting the new churches and help them grow. It was an amazing time. I have to say, I was the one that was coming in as sort of the outsider because even our American team from the whole like Texas, like it's from Brownsville. So it's right on the border. I mean, you could spit and hit Mexico from there. I mean, those guys we're already completely fluent in uh, Spanish. I was sort of the loser. <laughs> like I'm like I don't speak any. Like I'm like well I got like burrito and taco and like ola. Does that count? I mean that's about what I got. And uh, and so I kind of felt like the outsider coming in. There's I mean maybe 20 or 25 people from Brownsville, so they kind of already knew each other and had some relationship. I was sort of the outsider coming in. Uh, and And, uh, and, and yet I have to say it was a pretty amazing experience. I mean, I, I, uh, they told me as I was leaving yesterday that I'm officially adopted as a South Texan. And so, uh, I was like, yeah. And, uh, uh, but really just amazing to see, uh, we became family this week. Not just, not just the Americans, but the, the Costa Ricans and us as well. It was, it was pretty cool. We went out to some really remote, uh, villages and places way up in the mountains and, uh, I was amazed by the hospitality even of the people. I mean, we'd come up, I mean, strangers, right, walking up to your door. They'd invite us in. They'd fix tea for us. They would uh, had some people dig some stuff out of their garden and send it with us because they wanted us to, I mean, just really cool stuff. And, again, keeping in mind that they're living in like a one-room little hut with a tin shed on the top, right, I mean, tin, tin roof on the top. I mean, pretty amazing kind of thing. And to see so many people uh, respond to Jesus, it was cool. On Thursday, we had uh, like a celebration banquet and had, I mean, probably, oh, I don't know, 60, 70, 80 of the people that had come to Christ this week joined us along with uh, the Costa Rican partners and some of the church from there and uh, just worshiped and prayed and celebrated uh, what God had done, a pretty amazing thing. And so I'm, I'm experiencing this sort of spiritual high, right, coming off of that. And uh, throughout the week, I mean, just seeing God work and, and really work it change homes and families and even villages and and just seeing the the power of Jesus, right, lived out and uh, impacting people. So intersperse that with little snippets. We didn't have uh, internet or anything in the field. Occasionally, you could get it in our hotel rooms, and so I'd, I'd log on and check Facebook or you know put put some pictures or whatever. And it's interesting to see. So we're experiencing that in Costa Rica, and back home, I'm seeing snippets and pictures of of riots, of killings, of division amongst our country in so many ways. And I'm just sort of brokenhearted by that. At the exact same time, you know, and I'm just uh, holding both of those throughout the week. And sort of what I found my my prayer being more and more and more as I'm experiencing the Costa Rica thing, more and more for home is, man, do we need Jesus? You know what I mean? Do we need? the gospel to be lived out here. Man, do we need to to, to to have the church rise up and to love God and to learn once again what it really looks like and what it really means to love people, not just people that are like us, but to love people that are different from us, to, to love people that uh, maybe aren't nice to us, to love and, and extend grace and to help point them back to the hope and the new life and the transforming power of Jesus. And, uh, man, I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm communicating this well or not. I was up really late, <laughs> up really early. So, yeah, I have got to go with me today. But do you see the contrast? I mean, in one place, I'm coming in as the outsider. I'm embraced, and there's transformation, and Christ is doing a work and raising up communities of people that are bringing redemption and new life to, to a whole country. <laughs> and on the other hand, I'm seeing one falling apart. And I'm just like, this one over here, reminds me a little bit more and more and more every day of the kingdom of god and what happens when god's people start living out their faith and what that looks like in the ripples of how that transforms you know individuals and families and communities and countries and the whole world the other one reminds me of excuse me for a second but of, of what a crap hole <laughs> like this sin-filled world can be sometimes and the way that we will just take things and we'll run south with them and we'll hate and we'll divide and we'll judge and we'll look down our noses and we'll call names and we'll, we'll, we'll think we're better than somebody else and somebody else will think they're better than us and all that kind of stuff. It's just destruction and destruction and the, the, the power of death. And I'm like, man, I want to see God's kingdom come. I mean, Jesus teaches us right in the Lord's prayer. God, may your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth in our lives in our communities in our family in our world and i don't know about you but man i need more of that i think i want to see more of that here don't you i ran across this quote this week that i think sort of uh uh was convicting and also i'm like i thought brought some clarity i just want to share it with you it's from uh, uh, a guy by the name of john stott theologian um And I thought he did a great job. He said, our Christian habit is to bewail the world's deteriorating standards with an air of rather self-righteous dismay. We criticize its violence. We criticize its dishonesty, its immorality, its disregard for human life, and its materialistic greed. The world is going down the drain, we say with a shrug. But whose fault is it? Who is it to blame? Let me put it like this if the house is dark when nightfall comes, there is no sense in blaming the house. That is what happens when the sun goes down. The question is to ask, where is the light? Similarly, if the meat goes bad and becomes inedible, there is no sense in blaming the meat. That's what happens when bacteria are left alone to breed. The question to ask is, where is the salt? just so. If society deteriorates and its standards decline until it becomes like a dark night or a stinking fish, there's no sense in blaming society. That is what happens when fallen men and women are left to themselves and human selfishness is unchecked. The question to ask, listen to this, the question to ask is where is the church? Where are the salt and the light of Jesus Christ? Not, why are they not permeating and changing our society? that a good quote? It's the right question. Jesus says, you know what? You are the salt of the earth, he says to his followers. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine in such a way that the world sees it and is drawn to Jesus. This morning, we're launching a brand new series uh, here at Ignite called How to Neighbor. And it's all about learning how to show and how to actually love our neighbors as ourselves. It's based off of Jesus, a quintessential teaching on what Christianity is all about. You guys remember the story, right? Somebody comes to him and says, Jesus, what's the most important thing? And Jesus says, well, it's, this, is, this is simple. This is straightforward. First, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, all the law and the prophets are summed up in those two things. And so we're going to be talking about what does that look like lived out in our lives? How to love God and, and love God through loving our neighbor as ourselves. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of dig into that, talk about what it actually looks like. And then the last Sunday of July, we're going to go out and serve and love and make a difference in our community. We're going to actually go out and love our neighbors, right? And so... Um, it's going to be a great time. Hope, hope you'll come along for the ride. Just uh, just to mention, we planned this series a while ago. I wrote the message like nine days ago uh, now, and it's interesting uh, to see what's happened in the last week in our country, because you're going to think that I I planned this. <laughs> and really, I'd have to say, I think God planned this. Today, we're going to start out the series on learning to love our neighbor, uh, and, and we're going to talk about learning to love without prejudice. And I thought, maybe, maybe that's a pretty, I mean, with everything that's happened, I think maybe that's a good topic for this week, don't you think? Good topic for the church. And so we're going to talk about that. We're going we're to base our teaching and our time off of a story that Jesus tells about a man who, uh, who chose to turn aside and learn to love somebody that was very, very different from him. It's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. It's a story found in Luke 10. You can follow along if you want, but, uh, or we'll have it on the screens on the Ignite Church app or whatever but I think there's some great lessons for us to learn about how how the church can rise up and learn once again to, to love God and to love others and so that's what we're going to do we're going to walk through it make a few comments and that'll be it for today so Luke 10 let's start with verse 25 and we'll just kind of read through it here it says on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked what must I do to inherit eternal life what's written in the law he replied how do you read it Jesus answered and he answers, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all, in all your strength. And the second, uh, and to love your neighbor as yourself, he says. Um, you have answered correctly, by the way. Good answer. Where do you, th- where do you suppose he stole that from? Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, he says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Okay, so let me just stop and just set stage here for a second. So this, this lawyer, this expert in the law sets out to test Jesus. They're trying to trap him and to, uh, to get him to say something that is not lawful. And so he asks Jesus, what must I do, he says, to inherit eternal life? What rules must I obey? What, what religious rituals must I observe? What do's and don'ts do I have to follow in order to earn God's approval, in order to merit a spot in heaven? And in classic Jesus fashion, he sort of throws it back as a question to him. He says, well, you're an expert, you tell me. And the guy starts out by quoting uh, the Deuteronomy verse, right? That Jews would recite daily to love God with all that you are, with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then he he quotes as well from Leviticus, uh, the whole uh, learning to love your neighbor as yourself. To that, Jesus affirms that guy. He says, yeah, you're right on. It's not really about do's and don'ts. It's not really about rules and rituals and all the things you have to do. It's about relationship, Jesus says, right? It's about loving God and loving others. It's about living in those two relationships. He says, do that and you'll live. Then he goes on, verse 29. This is where it starts to get good. But he, the expert in the law, right, he he wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is just classic sort of lawyer stuff, right? He wanted to defend himself by narrowly defining the word. In other words, he's learning to, he wants to define neighbor uh, in a way that he doesn't actually have to love everybody, right? He's kind of hoping we can narrowly define this so we can just, you know, if I can love a few people that I like, like my friends, and we can call that neighbor, we're good. I want to love people that are like me the kind of classic understanding in the Jewish culture in that day of loving your neighbor was to love, uh, was meant literally one who is near. And so they understood it as people that were like you religiously, people that were like you uh, in terms of your own race. And so to love your neighbor meant, hey, to love people that are of your own race, your own religion, your own kind, and that kind of a thing. If you do that, you fulfill the law, they thought. If the person doesn't fit those qualifications of being like you, then they aren't your neighbor and you don't need to feel bound by it. That's sort of the understanding in that day. In short, you don't have to love people that are different from you. You don't have to love people that you really don't like that much. This is key to understanding Jesus' response. The problem with the man's question is that he's trying to justify himself for not loving his neighbor, even though he recognizes it's the second greatest commandment contrary to what most people think the parable of the good Samaritan isn't just about you know we should help people and be good people you know help those that are in need and that kind of stuff but the parable is also about the excuses that we make it's about self-justification and I think it's not just the lawyer's problem I think it's our problem too Often we find ourselves uh, justifying ourselves for not helping others. We tell ourselves that we can't help somebody because it's too dangerous or because it's too involved or because I don't have time or because I don't have enough resources or whatever. But often God puts these opportunities in front of us so that we can learn to love him by loving others and that he'll show us what he can do in us and through us. And he calls us to stop what we're doing, to follow his promptings, and to love those around us as he loves others us and he loves them. Let's go on. Verse 30 says this, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him. They went away leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to that place, he saw him, but he passed by on the other side of the road but a Samaritan, now we'll get to this in a second, but anytime you read Samaritan the story, you should gasp, okay? So let's try this again. But a Samaritan, (gasps) right? But a Samaritan, he says, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. So you've got this man that gets robbed, that gets beaten so badly, he's left half dead alongside the road. And then you've got the three main characters that come along, the first one is a priest. And a priest in the Jewish society, is that a pretty good gig? Yeah, it's a pretty good gig. You were, you were somebody that represented the people before God, right? It was a, a very high status in society. They were very well, very highly respected. Again, it's like, it's like a pastor or a priest today, except more so, right? Except more, uh, more highly respected, more highly whatever. And, uh, and so you would expect, man, here comes this man of God walking by the side of the road. Surely he'll stop and help this guy, right? He's left half dead. No, he, he walks by on the other side of the road. Second guy, uh, Partially, I might add, because it was, un- it was understood in that day that if you helped him, then you might be ceremonially unclean. You might not be able to go and, and be with God. And so they think, well, oh, he's, he's going to make me unclean, so I'm just kind of scooch right on by, walk right on by. Second guy comes up is a Levite. And a Levite has a little bit lower standing than a priest, but it's still a pretty good gig. They, they, uh, they help out in the temple, a uh, privileged group in society. They kind of led the liturgy. They protected the temple, some of that kind of stuff. Again, thought of as very godly men. And so the Levite walks by and you think, oh, surely he's going to stop and help, right? But nope, he walks right on by uh, on the other side of the road. You know, don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, right? He's, he scurries along on his way. Maybe He's probably got places to go and people to see, right? He's a busy guy. He's got a lot going on. And then there's the third uh, person in this story. And uh, people in that day would have expected the third person in this kind of style of story, they would have expected the third person to be a Jew. They would have expected the Jew to be the hero, right? That w- surely the Jew is, g- a regular God-fearing Jew is going to come and is going to help this guy out. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus intentionally makes a point here. He says, but there's a third guy, the hero in the story that comes along and he's a Samaritan thank you. Who did that? Yes, Samaritan. All right, let's try it again. But there's a third guy that came along, and he was a Samaritan. Oh, you guys are good. Samaritans were hated. They were despised in that culture. They were considered half-breeds. 700 years earlier, uh, Israel was invaded by Assyria. Assyria grabbed a whole bunch of people, took them off into exile. Some of them married, had children and offspring that were considered half-breeds, second-class, sort of nobody, pond scum kind of people. Right? The, the, their offspring is who, uh, is who would have been known as Samaritans that day. Jews did not like them. It reminded them of their uh, Captors? What's the word? They're the people that had invaded them, right? It reminded them of the people that had come in and snagged off their people and run away. Uh, they didn't worship in Jerusalem. They uh, they were known as sort of heretics. They were different. They didn't like them. There was sort of a religious and uh, and a racial hatred between these two groups. Uh, that's very similar to maybe Jews and Palestinians today. So when you hear Samaritan, I mean these were. These were the worst people that Jews could imagine. They were like, we hate them. I'm not sure, I mean, boy, I'm not sure it, it's that different than how people would have thought about Bin Laden or whatever right after 9-11, right? I mean, it was that kind of like radical Muslim extremist kind of things. Like, th- there's just a, a, a man like, you invaded our country. You killed our people. I mean, did all this damage. It was that kind of a feeling that people would have experienced. By using the Samaritan as the hero in the story, Jesus is answering the question, who is my neighbor? Isn't he? He said, then your enemy comes, right? Your arch enemy comes. He's the hero in the story. He bends down. He helps this guy. It's It's a way that Jesus is saying, you want to know who your neighbor is? It's the person you hate, it's the person that's of a different race from you. It's the person that's of a different religion from you. It's a person that is completely opposite, that, that drives you crazy. Somebody that you would oppose face-to-face, screaming at the top of your lungs. He's saying, that's your neighbor, and I'm telling you to love your neighbor as yourself. This is a jaw-dropping kind of teaching, right? I mean, this is like, what in the world? Who's your neighbor? Let me tell you, it's like a Samaritan, right? It's like a Samaritan, no. It's your neighbor. It's people not only, yes, is it people that are like you? Yeah, is it people that live next door to you? Yeah, but is it also people that are far off, people that are different from you, people that look different than you, speak different from you and everything else? Yes, your neighbor is everybody. And in our digital age, our neighbors are a lot more, aren't they? We're a lot more connected. We see them, we we know what's going on with them all over the world. You have never locked eyes with somebody that is not your neighbor. They are people that are well-dressed, that put on suits and ties and goes to, goes to work, and they are people that don't work, and they are people that are tatted up and have gauges in their ears and rings all over the place, I mean, right, and, and everywhere in between. Some of you are like, hey now, but just <laughs> go with me, right? But, I mean, they, they, they look uh, like any skin color, any religion, any whatever, you have never met somebody that doesn't fall into this definition. Are you hearing me? Who's your neighbor? everybody. Thank you. Your neighbor is everybody. And he's saying, man, you've never locked eyes with somebody that doesn't fall into that category. And your, your calling is to love your neighbor as yourself. I think in our minds, you know what we do with that? We cross out all the words in the middle and we say, love yourself, right? That's, that's about what we hear with that. Love your neighbor. Love those that are different from you. Love those that are, even love those that are prejudiced against you. Love those that don't love you. Love those that hate you even, right? Jesus teaches, right? This is crazy kind of teaching. He says, man, this is, this is what life in my kingdom looks like. You want to talk about what it looks like to, to love God and live that out in our world? Love like that. Love your neighbor as yourself and your neighbor is anybody you ever come in contact with. Okay, I better keep going or I'm going to camp out there forever let's go on. Um, if you and I are a Christ follower, it's our calling. It's a, it's a command of Jesus, right? He's saying it's the most important thing in life is to love God and to love those that are around you. That's, that's, what, that's what makes a difference in life. That's, a, that's the good stuff. That's how we are meant to live learning to love those even that are extremely different from us, even those that are hard for us. See, man, that's where the good life is at. Let's go on verse 34. So the Samaritan, <gasps> right? So he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Basically gave him his credit card. (laughs) Which of these three do you think uh, was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, and he tells us, go and do likewise. Jesus uses the example of the good Samaritan to show us the genuine, what, what genuine faith in action looks like. A person who looked past excuses, who looked past differences, and actually stopped, went out of his way, and helped and loved somebody that was in need. The good Samaritan chose to love his neighbor without prejudice. The rest of the story is, is fascinating because it doesn't really go on uh, anymore to talk about who is the neighbor, but Jesus is painting a picture of how to love your neighbor and uh, I just want to in the rest of the time I just want to hit three things we'll do it pretty quickly uh, and then we'll get to a little bit of application at the end here but the uh, in, in, not rocket science but I think it's a good challenge a good push in our direction okay So the first thing I want us to look at is uh, that neighboring requires risk. It requires stepping across the road. It requires stopping and doing something, right? Going and taking a risk with somebody else and for somebody else's uh, benefit, right? Verse 30 says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead, the 17-mile stretch of road from Jerusalem to Jericho had sort of a reputation and kind of an infamous name because of the number of robbers and bandits and all that kind of stuff all along the road. The road was known as the Way of Blood. So that's, that's the backdrop that Jesus tells the story. He says a man's coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho on, on, on this road known as the Way of Blood. The road describes some 3,300 feet through desert and rocky country and it was a, a, just a great place for robbers to hide. The robber, robbers on this road were notorious for being dangerous. Even if a person didn't have much, they would literally rob him just for his clothing and, and beat him and leave him there. When the Samaritan stopped to help, he knew that he would know that he's on a dangerous road. He maybe uh, even thought that the robbers, this could be a trap, right? Maybe the robbers are waiting for him and that kind of a thing. It could be a setup. But the good Samaritan didn't use risk as a justification not to take action. I think sometimes we just justify ourselves to not help somebody, to not love somebody that's in need because we're afraid of the risk too. Can I, can I just push on this for a little bit? What about the, the refugee crisis that's happening in the world right now? Middle Eastern refugees. Can I just say as a country, we have, we have chosen to operate entirely out of fear, saying, no, 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 We're not let it. we can't let those in. What would happen to us if they did it? Can I just say, this probably applies more to the parable of the Good Samaritan than we would care to imagine. No, what would happen to us? What would happen to me if, if we let in children and women and, that have no home Man, I, there's been stuff obviously all over Facebook, and I don't really like Facebook politics or religion that much, but uh, I did see something that was a good reminder. said, you know what? Okay, Christ followers, before you do that, keep in mind, Jesus was a refugee from the Middle East, right? There's, like, be careful, right? Be careful what kind of boxes and parameters you're putting around that. Most of the biblical characters were Middle Eastern refugees at one time or another during their lives. We have decided, we as as Americans and we as American Christians have, have made safety this chief value when the Bible, I don't think, speaks that much about going back into our holy huddle and hiding from the big bad world out there. Jesus says, go, right? He says, love your enemy. He says, love those who persecute you. He says, I mean, right? I mean, there's there's this call to go, especially to those that are in need. Orphans, widows, refugees, man, there's some unbelievable commands of God that drive his people and say, go and care for those that need it most. That's what... How how are we going to love our neighbors as ourselves if we're not willing to take a risk if we're not willing to to go to a bad part of town to help some people that need it? How are we going? I mean, how are we going to see God's kingdom come if we're not willing to walk across the road to somebody that's different? We don't know how it's going to turn out. We might not, not know what, what's happening exactly. How are, how is God's kingdom going to come more fully if we don't stop and take a risk? Do you, What's the worst that could happen, friends? Are we Christ followers? Do we believe in the resurrection of Jesus? Do we believe that we're headed for heaven? What's the worst that could happen? I could end up in heaven with Jesus forever. Woo-hoo. Right? I mean, I'm I'm not saying to be stupid. I'm not saying to whatever. But for so many of us, I I don't think the question is that we're going too far and we're skirting with stupidity and and following Jesus into all these risky situations. The, The danger for us is that we don't take any. We don't take any risks. We live in our safe Christian little little bubble over here and we just do our, do our little things and we just hope those big bad people out there never do anything. Meanwhile, the world is dying. They are starving for Jesus. They're starving for the hope and the life and the love and the redemption and the salvation that only he can bring. It's time for the church to wake up, right? And to to follow Christ into the unknown beyond what we can do, beyond what we know, beyond our little safety zone or our comfort zone, and to follow where he leads. And where he leads is going to sometimes require risk. It's going to require us to step outside of our comfort zone. It's going to require us to take some risks and some chances. It's, he'll call you to, to, to minister to and love on and feed and help and clothe homeless people. Is that safe? He will. I guarantee. It's a command. Like, you can't deny it, right? He's going to do that sometimes. It it might involve you inviting people to stay with you at some point. It might involve adopting an orphan that needs a place to live. It's going to require risk. It's going to require stepping across the road. Are you with me? Smell what I'm stepping in? You got it? Man. And if we're not willing to do, if we're not willing to step out and follow him, I'm not so sure we're, we're willing to follow Jesus. Because that's where he takes us. He takes us out beyond our comfort zone and shows us what he can do through us and in us. He teaches us to follow him, to trust him, to cry out to him, to pray to him, to depend on him. And then he flexes his muscles a little bit. He shows us what he can do. There's a Martin Luther uh, King Jr. quote on this passage, which I, think, which I think is great. He says, the first question the priests and the Levites ask is, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? He says, but the good Samaritan reversed the question. If I, if I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? <laughs> we spend so much of our lives focused right here on me. I, I don't want to do that because it'll make me it might require more than I want to it might be scary it might be whatever I don't want to do that I just love your neighbor as yourself if you were that guy what would you want? would you want somebody to stop and help you? okay that was weak so we, we wore these bracelets this week it says I am second have you guys seen these before? uh I am second reminds us of two things, right? It reminds us that, first of all, our lives are not our own. If I'm a Christ follower, then I've said, you know what? Jesus is the number one in my life. I'm following him no matter what. I'm not, I'm not steering this thing. <laughs> he is, right? I'm following him. And the second one is it, it also plays out in the way we love others. We put others first. That's the church, man. That's, that's the main thing Jesus says. Love God, love others, is that going to take us beyond our comfort zones? Absolutely. Is it going to require risk? Absolutely. If you and I are going to learn to love our neighbor, don't use risk as an excuse. Don't don't use safety as an excuse. Let's put on our our big girl shoes and walk, you know, step across the road and follow Jesus where the action is. Second thing, uh, neighboring is going to require personal involvement. It's not something you do from far away. It's not some high and lofty thing up here. It's going to require that you get down in the dirt and get dirty sometimes. It is. Verse 33 says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine when the Samaritan sees the wounded man, he doesn't go over on the other side of the road. Instead, he has sincere compassion on him and he's moved to action. He bandages up the man's wombs. He bends down. You know, the, the reality of that story is if you bend down on the side of the road and you bandage people and you're taking care of them and you're, you know, caring for him, you get back up, what do you look like? What's, what are you gonna look like? Suppose you'll be dirty? I guarantee it. He was down in the ditch probably, right? He's dirty. He might have blood on him, right? I mean, there's all, the, all this stuff going on. It's gonna require you to stoop down to get personally involved. The traveling Samaritan wasn't afraid to get in there and to get personally involved. I ran across a story this week, a true story from, uh, I think it's England, yeah, a place in England, a 65-year-old guy, Clive Collins uh, didn't seem to have a Samaritan around when he needed one. He was opening up the trunk on his car in a parking lot in England and a manhole cover, I don't know what happened, but a manhole cover shifted and he fell down into it, Uh, slipped into this five foot deep hole. Collins told the BBC News, uh, probably 15 or 20 people walked by and he said, I called out. He said, the more I called out, the less they seemed to notice me. He said, what surprised me is that they didn't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. He said, a a woman actually parked alongside my camper and put the hood up on her car and said, can you please call an ambulance? And she refused to acknowledge that I was even there. He said, one "One shopper uh, looked straight at me in the car as he was driving by slowly, and I waved, and he waved back to me, and he kept going. He so said, despite suffering broken ribs and being real beat up, he managed to find his cell phone and to call uh, 999, which is like England's version of 911. He needed 47 stitches, had two broken ribs, chipped tooth, the whole shebang. He was in bad shape. Not one person stopped to help him. The, uh, even the BBC report said, you know, uh, you know, he said apparently there were no Samaritans there to help him out, is what they said. Very interesting. Man, I wonder how many times during the day that we walk right on by, that we don't make eye contact. And Jesus is is screaming in our spirits, would you love him? Would you help those that are in need? Would you stop and turn aside and do something? I mean, it's fascinating, right? I mean, did did the priest see him? It even says in the text, the priest saw him, and when he saw him, what did he do? He walked by on the other side of the road. Right, I mean, he walked by the Levite when he came by. Did he see him? It says he saw him, right? But what did he do? Nothing. Walked by on the other side of the road. Man, following Jesus, loving others—it's going to require that we stop and do something. It's going to require that we get our, get our jeans dirty, our hands dirty. It's going to require us to help, to stop, and to do something. It involves personal uh, involvement. The third one I'll just hit, uh, hit quickly as well. Or actually, let me, let me go back on the personal involvement one. But the fascinating part of the story, right, is he, Jesus brings it back at the end to the teacher of the law. He said, and he asks him, hey, which one did right? Was it the two that walked by on the other side of the road or was it the third one that stopped and helped? And what's the guy say? What's the one that had mercy on him? And Jesus said what? What'd Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Go and do the same. It's the same call that Jesus gives to us. Would you go and do something? Don't just pass by on the other side of the road. Would you stop? Would you stoop down and serve and help and love in Jesus' name? Third one is this. Neighboring, uh, I just put, requires uh, sacrifice or sacrificial love, right? Verse 33, then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him into the inn and he took care of him. The Samaritan didn't use time schedule as an excuse not to help. He took time to stop. He slowed, it probably slowed the progress of his journey, right? But he slowed down. He loaded the man on his donkey. He bandaged his wounds. He took care of him. There wasn't an emergency room in that day, so he took him to, his, to a hotel. He, he took care of him there, mended him back to health. I mean, all kinds of stuff. It uh, reminds me, there's a story, actually a research project that was done at Princeton uh, Divinity School uh, a number of years ago where two different uh, psychology professors did this study of, uh, of seminary students, right? And they said uh, it, was, it was all based off of this whole Good Samaritan kind of idea. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to have all the theology students come in uh, in different groups, and I'm going ha- to tell them that they have a project that, uh, that they're going to have to prepare um, uh, um, like a public speaking kind of thing. They're going to have to prepare it here, and then I'm going to have them walk across campus um, to actually give the presentation. And on the way, they planted a guy like this, a guy that was in need. So a guy that's moaning, like right on the root, right? A guy that's moaning, that's, that looks beat up, he's dirty, he's laying down, uh, you know, kind of helpless and in, obviously in need kind of thing, crying out for help. And they said, we're going to introduce three different variables. He said, the first one is this. We're going to have, um, you know, two different groups. One of them, we're going to uh, uh, have one group prepare a thing actually on the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So they're going to be thinking about this. They're going to be on it. The other ones, we're going to give something a little bit more obscure. So we'll see, does, that, does that make a difference? And then they said that the second kind of variable is that we're going we're gonna to have people do a survey to see why is it that they want to do ministry in the first place. And we're going to look for those that want to help people uh, and, and are really in it to, to see the gospel change lives and bring hope to the you know, hurting and all that kind of stuff. And then those that are, are in it for different kind of reasons. And then uh, the third variable um, oh, is this. He's like one group, we're going to tell them, oh, and you're already late you're in a hurry, <laughs> you, you know, you make, make sure. And the other one, was going to say, oh, take, take all the time you need. You got a while, no big rush. And th- so they, they did this and they conducted this experiment. And they actually, many people since then have conducted similar experiments. And they said, what would you, it's like, if you asked the people, and they've done this hundreds of times, if you ask people, which groups and which uh, variables do you think would be most significant? Most people say it's those that are prepared and uh, thinking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Surely a higher percentage of those are going to stop and help, right? Or or they said, you know what, the other one is those that got into ministry that really love people and want to serve people, I said, surely those are gonna be the ones that stop and help, right? Statistically, there's no difference one way or the other on those. The only thing that mattered in terms of the response rate is those that they told were in a hurry. Only 10% of them stopped and helped that so were going to give a speech on the Good Samaritan. Ninety percent of them walked right. On by versus, I think it's sixty-seven percent of uh, of those that they said, "Hey, you've got you got plenty of time to get over there." Sixty-seven percent of those stopped and helped. The only thing statistically that made a difference is how busy they were or felt. But how busy are you these days? How busy am I? How many opportunities is God putting right before us every day of our lives? We're like, I got, I got to do this, I got to do this, I got to do this. And we walk right on by. We don't even notice them they, in this study. In fact, it talks about several students that actually stepped right over this person on their way to go give the, their little talk on the parable of the Good Samaritan. Oh, those are seminary students. We're better than that, aren't we? How many times every day do we walk right on by? When it comes to helping those in need, when it comes to loving our neighbors, the greatest ability is availability, is seeing, having that mindset that says, God, what plans do you have for me today? I've got time enough to do what you're calling me to do. Now, do we have to go to work? Sure, we go to work. But even throughout the day at work, on our way to work, on our way home from work or whatever, or wherever else we're going, the grocery store or whatever, really? What if we were to stop and help? What if we were to stop and, I mean, what if we were aware enough of what, of those around us, of loving God and loving others? If we made that a priority, if we valued that enough that we would slow down and stop and help and love and serve those that are in need. So it'll cost us time. It'll also cost us treasure, right? I mean, you go on with the story. It talks about the, he, he pays for uh, the man to be in a room. He puts, basically throws down his credit card to take care of any needs and, you know, any Cokes he needs from the little mini bar or whatever <laughs> right, kind of thing. But it, it's gonna cost us financially sometimes too. To, if we're going to learn to love our neighbors as ourselves, will it show up in our checkbook? You bet. It will. It just will. Will it show up in our schedules? It will. If we're going to learn to love God and love people. All right. Let me just kind of, oh yeah, I'll give you a Margaret Thatcher quote real quick here. Pop that up. go more. Margaret Thatcher. No one would have remembered the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. She says, he had money as well, right? <laughs> I mean, like, he helped. There was something practical that he did to kind of help in this deal. If you're gonna learn to love your, your neighbor, uh, you know, don't use money or time as an excuse to hold back. Neighboring will require sacrifice, but that's uh, how lives get changed. That's how eternities get changed, right? That's how God's kingdom purposes advance here on this earth. Let me sort of pull the whole thing together real quick and we'll wrap it up. Did Jesus answer the question, who is my neighbor? Who's neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Yeah, your neighbor is anyone in need, anyone you can help, anyone on the outside, anybody that you come in contact with, right? Again, going back to verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him, Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus sort of at the end, he changes the the question, he changes the focus from who is my neighbor to what kind of neighbor are you? I found myself wondering that this week as well. What kind of neighbor, am am I? how am I learning to love my neighbor? Would Would I want me to come by if I was the guy on the side of the road? Would you want you to come by? Are you loving your neighbor? Are you loving those around you like you love yourself? Are you serving and loving and helping those that are in need? Are you taking time to slow down to see even the needs that are around you and bringing Jesus into the midst? The good Samaritan disadvantaged himself to advantage someone else. Does that sound familiar? I was struck this week as I, or a couple weeks ago as I studied this passage uh, that there was another one that was stripped of his clothes that was beaten and left for dead, literally. Someone kind of like the Samaritan in this story, somebody that chose to disadvantage himself for our benefit so that others could reap advantage. The Bible says that he was pierced for our transgressions, that he was crushed for our wrongdoings that he was punished so that we could find peace and so that, and by his wounds we are healed we have a savior that came for us like that right a savior who came who, who chose and lived not for himself but even for the good of others a savior that has, has brought salvation and hope and life and transformation to our souls and wants to bring it to the world through you and through me through what he's doing on this planet. It's it's the Savior who we're called to follow his example. It's the Savior who commands us to go and to be his witnesses, to go and shine for him, to go and be salt and light to a world that needs it. It's he who calls us to go out to the world and love God and love our neighbors as ourselves. It is to that that you and I are called. It's to that that we are meant to live every day of our lives, every moment of our lives. It's the main thing. It's the it's the most important, Jesus. Says. And even though this is just sort of an introductory week, it's the starting point for everything. In it, that's what we're going to talk about as we talk about these next few weeks, as we prepare for our kind of our missions trip here in Peoria and in the region. But also as we talk about how to live our lives, how to neighbor, we're going to live that out with passion. Let's close in prayer, Father. We need you. Uh, forgive us for so easily and so often. Um, just keeping our eyes focused on ourselves and on our own agendas and our own priorities and values and all kinds of junk. Forgive us for being distracted. Forgive us for for rewriting all this. And instead of loving you and loving others more than anything else, we just kind of put ourselves at the top of the list. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you teach us afresh how to live our lives with you? Would you cleanse us and wash us? Lord, we thank you for Jesus and for the mercy that you have shown for us, the salvation, the sacrifice that you have made for us so that we could have life. Lord, and I pray that you would teach us to follow your example. That you would send us out from here today to be people who uh, have freely received your grace and your love and your forgiveness, that we could freely extend that to others. I pray that your love would be seen in us God in the ways we live our lives in the comments we make on Facebook in the ways we stop and stoop and help those that are in need in the ways that we pursue and cross the street and go after people that are very different from us and show them kindness and compassion and love may your kingdom come may your will be done in us we pray Lord Jesus' name. Amen.